You ever been asked to leave a comfort zone? Yeah. How many like leaving their comfort zones? I hate it. I don't like it. I don't like change. I don't like dissonance. I like things to remain the same, easy, predictable. Um, But that's not always how it goes in life, right? Um, A couple weeks ago, we had a group of students who... um, who put themselves out of their comfort zones. I apologize, these pictures aren't going to be as big as they would be up there, but uh, uh, maybe some of you heard about the epic uh, thunderstorm that literally we, we survived, um, and that's a big story for another time, but God in his goodness got us to this site about 15 minutes ahead of one of the worst storm I've ever had up in Algonquin, and basically all we could do was just stand there. Uh, this was out of our comfort zone, and I don't know if you noticed, but this is... Um, this is lunch, and so this is how they had to eat lunch, and this is actually after the worst of it had passed, but we had to hold, and we had to take turns eating lunch, and you could see the, the standing water all around uh, the campsite here, and uh, that, was, that was uncomfortable, and uh, then they did this all day. Uh, we, we paddled across these, these big lakes, and it was warm, and that was uncomfortable, and then you did this. This was the best part. Uh, you got to carry all of your stuff um, over land bridges, portages, and uh, this plus one of these. Now, this is, uh, I'm not sure who's carrying here, but some people are carrying one of these and that. At least four people, every portage, were carrying that. Sometimes people were carrying two of these, one on the front and one on the back. That was uncomfortable. And let me sum it up for you on why we do that. I asked one kid one day, I said, why are you here? What did you come here for? And he said to me, I'm lazy. And I came here so God could work in me and I could work on that. I thought, wow, first of all, how that was really honest. How cool is that that you identify that? And then the reason why you came was specifically to deal with that. Understanding that making myself uncomfortable, allowing tension to be introduced into my life is what helps me to grow. And that was the story of most of our students who were there, if you were to ask them those questions. They'd be able to tell you. The tension that was introduced in my life helped me to grow and learn. That's been my life experience, not just on wilderness trips, but other parts of life. It's the hard times that really make us grow. This is what Peter is confronting here in Acts chapter 10. There is a lot going on in this passage. Fortunately, we're going to get the camp on this scene for a couple weeks because we'll see this in a minute. This, this narrative is repeated a couple times here. So next week, my good friend Matt Bell is going to be speaking. I'm going to be on vacation next Sunday. But uh, my friend Matt Bell teaches Bible at North Point. He was a pastor here at a, one of the churches in the area for a while. He's going to come and he's going to unpack uh, the next phase of this and talk about the people and the gospel going out to these different people groups. And that's certainly, we're going to allude to that today. But the big part I want us to focus on here today is Peter and the journey that Peter had to go on Allowing himself to be challenged for the sake of something bigger than himself. Some quick things by way of background. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but the introduction, 
as we think about Peter, some things at least to orient you to the text, I want you to be aware of. First of all, I would suggest to you that this narrative right here is the heart of the book of Acts. And here's why I say that. Right? This Cornelius account is told twice, basically, in this chapter. At least the Cornelius part of it. We get the actual telling of the story by, by Luke. And then you have, when Peter gets there, Cornelius retells something we've already read. He retells what happened to him. So there's a a repetition of that. As you'll see, you get into chapter 11. The whole narrative is retold again in a little bit more of a summary form. But Peter retells it when he's questioned by people in Jerusalem. Why were you eating with Gentiles? He tells the story again. Then when you get to Acts 15, the Jerusalem council, John's going to address one of these days when when we get there, is... um, there's another alluding to this story. It's not retold in all the details, but Peter is very clearly referring back to this experience. This is the heart of the book of Acts. The sheer amount of repetition tells us that. God is working in unexpected places. We've talked about this already, but now you're seeing it explode here as you get into Acts chapter 10 and 11. The gospel coming to a Roman, a Gentile, A Roman, Gentile, centurion, military guy, in Caesarea, the gospel has crossed a great boundary here. Significant. God continues to directly be involved in Acts. You see God's direct involvement all over the place, right? God is calling the shots here. An angel appears to Cornelius. Peter has a vision. Here's a voice from heaven. The Spirit of God directly tells Peter what to do as this unfolds. God is calling the shots here. This is a God thing. This is a God movement. Peter's involvement is significant here. Again, as we saw a few weeks ago in Samaria, the fact that Peter and John come to validate the fact that the gospel has come to Samaritans, now Peter, again, the recognized leader of the church in Jerusalem, is involved again. This is a major affirmation of the work, that the gospel is not just for the Jews. Here's Peter, part of this movement, right? And then the city itself. We've talked about how Luke, throughout Acts, loves his geography, right? And the city, Caesarea. This was the, the provincial capital in Judea. This is where the Roman governor dwelt when he was there. And it was named after, guess who? Caesar, right? Uh, significant that this is happening in Caesarea. This is truly hostile territory, in a sense. But again, I want to focus today mostly on Peter. The narrative, I believe, is just as much about him as it is about Cornelius. So let's talk about some principles here and how it relates to Peter. All right. Opportunities for gospel mission exist. I want to suggest to you today that Cornelius is out there. Cornelius is out there. Cornelius was out there for Peter. Cornelius is still out there for you today. Great opportunities for the gospel existed then. They still exist for us today. Cornelius, let's talk about him a little bit. He was a centurion. He was one of the principal professional officers in the Roman military, commanding between 80 and 100 men. They were paid very well, about 16 times more than your average soldier, and they enjoyed tremendous uh, military and social recognition. These guys were kind of 
like, I don't know, the Rangers or the, uh, you know, the Marines. Josiah, there you go. It's a shout-out for you. The SEALs, right? The Centurions. Um, this one feared God. He wasn't a full proselyte, um, but what we read here communicates some things to us. But he was seeking God. He most likely, given the strong language here, he turned his back on the Roman mystery religions, the Roman gods, particularly those related to the military. We see that he shared his wealth and prayed to the true God. The fact that he was praying at the ninth hour of the day, that was a Jewish designated time of prayer. So you see how devout he was observing this prayer time at that hour of the day. The fact that he's praying and seeking God and gives shows the authenticity of his search. And it was during this prayer time in which God appears to him and instructs him to send for Peter. And we see that Cornelius obeys immediately. So as we go through this message, I want you to have this in my mind, in your minds. As we think about Peter and the transformation he had to go through, I want you to be aware of the reason why he had to go through this transformation is because Cornelius is out there. And I think for us today, where we can take this is that Cornelius represents opportunities and people in our world who need Jesus Christ. Cornelius represents opportunities for us, whether that's an individual or it's a ministry opportunity that God is calling you to be involved in, that you need to seize. These opportunities are out there. And here's how I know that, because God is always working. God is always building his church. The words of Jesus himself in Matthew 9, remember what he said to his disciples? Look, look at the fields. They're white unto harvest. There is opportunity everywhere. There are people who need Jesus everywhere. There are children at Forest Hills Baptist Church who need to be instructed in the ways of God. There are people who need to be loved. There are neighbors who need to be served. Cornelius is out there. The harvest field is white unto harvest. The issue is not that Cornelius isn't out there The issue, according to Jesus and Matthew, is that there's not the laborers who are willing to go to Cornelius. Right? That's the issue. Our unwillingness to engage, like Peter was here at first. So God calls us, his followers, to seize these opportunities and engage in mission. Look at the emphasis on Peter's location. Peter is called to go to Cornelius, right? The emphasis on his location. Anyone note the irony of the city that Peter is in? In verse 36 and 38, he's in Joppa. Old Testament. Years and years and years before, there was a prophet of Israel called to go to a Gentile nation and proclaim the gospel. His name was Jonah. And in this very city, hundreds of years before, this prophet refused and said, no, I don't like them. I hate them. They've subjugated our people. I'm not going there. I'm going the opposite direction. I think the irony is thick here. Peter's in that same city of Joppa, and he's being called to go speak to a Gentile military person who's oppressing his people. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's cool that Peter responds differently at the end of the day here. Right? He's staying with a tanner. 
with Simon the Tanner in verse 43, and we see that again in chapter 10, verse 6. I wonder if this is God's way of beginning to work in Peter's life. Does this, does this irony also not lost on that a Jewish person is staying with a tanner? Tanners handle dead things. Jews did not like to be around people who handled dead things or handled dead things because it made them ceremonially unclean. I think God is starting to do a work in Peter's life without Peter even knowing it. Listen, be sensitive to the places and things God is teaching you and where he's put you, right? Because sometimes, right, I know for me, when you look back and you start to see how God connected the dots, oh, God was doing this here to prepare me. God was doing this here to teach me. God was doing this here to set me up for this. Be sensitive all along the way. Somewhere along the way, God led Peter to stay with Simon the Tanner. And I'm wondering if that was beginning a softening in Peter, that maybe... Some of these Jewish ways need to be set aside a little bit. There's a huge emphasis here. God's already working in Peter's life to prepare him. I had this conversation with my daughter again this week. She's been a camp counselor, and she's had some hard weeks. Good weeks, great weeks, but some hard. And I remember a particular text exchange this past week. We were saying, Riss, I don't, I'm really curious what God's preparing you for through a couple of these experiences, but all I can say for sure is that I know is that God is preparing you for something through this. Be sensitive to those. Embrace what God is doing in your life as an opportunity to grow, looking that God is going to do something through these opportunities and experiences later on. So in his calling to Peter, then we see that God directly speaks to Peter through a vision. Peter is praying around the noontime. Now this is, unlike the, the, the ninth hour, this is actually an uncommon time. This isn't a prescribed time of prayer. Peter is just going and praying. This is instructive for us. This is what Peter did, right? Oh, I've got some free time. I'm going to go pray, right? For me, oftentimes, I'm gonna, I got some free time. I'm going to pick up my phone and read about Ohio State, right? Dave, that's what we do. Uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to pick up and play heyday. But, 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 Peter's like, I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go pray. That's significant. That's significant. Twice now, in this account, while people are praying, Cornelius, Peter here, while people are praying, God speaks to them. Communicates something to us about the nature of prayer, right? I'm not saying, nor should we expect, you know, God's going to give us these great visions and so on and so forth, but prayer is always a two-way street. I can't tell you how many times I've been praying uh, in my office in the morning, and I'm praying for people, and all of a sudden God will lay someone in my heart, I'll be praying for them, and God will be like, you need to text them. Encourage them. I'll shoot them a text. It's, it's, it's listening, it's talking, and it's in those times of prayer when we make time to just listen and sit and commune with God when God speaks to us and changes our hearts and works in us. I think it's significant that twice in this passage, during times of prayer, are when God challenged people and spoke to them. Right? I don't always do this well, my hurried times of prayer. But I should be open to hear from God. In this instance, Peter falls into a trance. This word trance literally means ecstasy. It's a state of being brought, uh, a state uh, brought about by God. When, uh, it's a sense of being outside oneself. Right? And again, and this isn't normative. You don't see this happen very often. It's not what we should expect, but... I, Peter, at this point, was brought outside of himself to hear from God. I, I did think about that. That even though I'm not expecting that, and that's not generally how God works today, 
Isn't that, though, the nature of it? When I stop and hear from God and I read his word where he's revealed himself, that what, am I, what am I needing in those times? I'm needing that same type of thing. I'm needing to be brought like, outside of myself, my own way of thinking, my closed-mindedness, my thinking of this is the way things should be. I, I need an outside voice to get me outside of my own head. That's what I need. That's what my devotional time is. That's why I need those quiet times for God. So I'm not looking for a trance, but I am looking for God in these times to speak to me. Get me outside of myself to hear from him. That's what happened to Peter here as he discerned God's leading. He needed to be, start thinking differently. He sees this sheet with all kinds of animals on it. And a voice says, eat. This word sheet is an interesting word. It refers to a linen cloth. Jimmy pointed out to me not a while back, this term is often used uh, for sails of a ship. I don't know if this is intentional or not, but it makes a lot of sense. If this is truly what he's looking at, and this is the word for sails, and he's seeing all of these animals in a sail, could it be part of God subtly communicating this, this, the gospel going forth, right? We know that Paul and his missionary journeys that are going to cover the rest of the book of Acts, he sailed to them. Maybe there's something subtle there. Right? But either way, there's the sail, the sheet, and it's full of all of these animals. And God says, take, kill, and eat. Here's the thing. This really wasn't about the animals, was it? Now, these animals are representing different Gentile people, I believe, who God loves and desires to hear the gospel message. Ultimately, that's what this is about. No more distinction between clean and unclean. The people of the world lay before you, Peter, and they need to hear the gospel. So at this point, Peter starts to resist. But God is calling him to wrestle with some truths and to step out of his comfort zone. We see in verse 14 that Peter does. He firmly refuses. He says, absolutely not. <laughs> now here's the thing. We're already, isn't this fascinating? This happens at noon. We're already told, this is a really interesting detail in the story. Luke tells us that Peter's hungry. This is how firm Peter, Peter Peter's hungry. And wait, listen, if, if I'm hungry... And you dangle shrimp and scallops and bacon in front of me, I'm eating it. A lot of it. And if those scallops are wrapped in bacon, even better. Right? Peter's hungry. I don't even have to be hungry. I'm going to eat that regardless. I'll give you stuff in front of me. I'm going to eat it. Right? But yet, Peter's hungry. I think that's an important detail. Now the food's put in front of him. God says, eat. And Peter, even in his hunger at noon... It's like, no, hearing the divine voice. No. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Three times this happens. And he says no. And three times he's told to not call common or unclean what God has made clean. Even after three times, we see that he doesn't capitulate. He doesn't get it. He keeps refusing. I don't know why he does this. I have some ideas. Could he viewed it as a test? Possibly. That's not how God generally works, right? 
I think it's more along these lines. This is so new and shocking that he couldn't grasp it. He had no frame of reference. I think he had an honest concern for not breaking the law. Because if you think about it, his entire identity as a Jewish person was wrapped up in these things. This was a huge part of who they were. And I'm not bending on this, God. And I want to ask you the question, can we sometimes be so entrenched in our opinions and traditions that we don't even listen to God himself when he is telling us to do something different. I'm not talking about the foundational things of scripture, the foundational principles of our faith. That's not what I'm talking. You know what I'm talking about, right? Sometimes we're so entrenched in our own agendas and opinions and, and traditions that we're unwilling to bend and release when God is clearly telling us to. So Peter's perplexity is understandable. These animals had been declared unclean in the law, Leviticus 11, 43 and 44. But again, this was so ingrained. In fact, it's so ingrained in their psyche. When Antiochus Epiphany ruled over Judea during the intertestamental period, the Maccabean revolt, Jews chose to die. Antiochus said, listen, I just want everyone to be one and be unified. Just eat the food. That's all he's asking. And they said, no. And they're like, okay, we'll kill you. And they said, that's fine. I mean, that, that's how firmly held this was. They, they died over food in the intertestamental period. But the point here is for Peter to not go on doing what he's been doing. God is telling him to stop, to recalibrate, to adjust, to understand that what God has made clean needs to be embraced. Again, for our purposes here, these were people being referred to. These are sinful people outside of Christ. And we need to understand that today. And we dare not take the attitude of Peter when it comes to this particular thing. We think about people. Unbelievers are not below us. We often can be judgmental. Somehow think we're defiling ourselves by going out and hanging out with unbelievers. God loves these peoples demonstrates that here, right? He's declared the animals clean. The dietary laws are abandoned. And again, right, it's not really about the food, which again, I'm thrilled about because if shrimp and scallops were outlawed today, I would not be happy. This is a new era. What God is communicating is that people like Cornelius are welcomed now into the people of God like the Samaritans. The removal of these restrictions communicates something bigger about what God is doing. It also lifts a major roadblock that would stood between Jews and Gentiles having intimate relationships with one another. Daryl Bach writes this, Gentile food and Jewish purity laws are not going to be issues for the church or a cause for separation between the ethnic groups that Jesus is reconciling. You think about it, right? The food laws back in the day and the law were basically about Israel's separation from the, neighbor, the nations, namely the, the neighboring Canaanites. God making certain foods clean indicates that that separation is over as table fellowship and the acceptance and inclusion of the Gentiles is the new norm. You need to reach out to these people, Peter. So God's calling sometimes requires us to change and embrace hard. Change and embrace hard. When I read this, I thought of... Um, my favorite Rocky movie was Rocky IV. Rocky IV, anyone see it? I, Ivan Drago, remember, and he fought. He was a Soviet guy, and that was kind of the whole sub, 
you know, sub-story and a thing was about that. And at the, at the end of it, when Rocky absorbs more beating than any human should physically be able to absorb and still win a fight, you know, but he beats Drago, the, the, the big bad Soviet guy, and then there's this rousing scene at the end, remember? And he's all slurring as, Rocky, as Sylvester Stallone does, and he's like, I can change. <laughs> and if I can change, you can change. We all can change. And the crowd's cheering for him, you know. That's what Peter... Peter's like, I could change. Change my viewpoint. Change my way of how I view these people. Change. He goes without hesitation. He's told to do that. Go without hesitation. What that word hesitation means, it's go without making the distinctions you used to make. Go without discriminating. And Peter starts to put things together, and he rightly interprets the vision now as the clean and unclean, as these men appearing, these Gentile men. Peter is learning. He puts together what God has shown him. Sometimes God lets us wrestle, right? After the vision, it says Peter was perplexed. Sometimes it's a great thing that God does for us. He allows us to wrestle. He allows us to struggle. To arrive at his will and his way. Peter gets it. The men show up. And Peter starts to put it together. Ah, wait a minute. This is what I'm supposed to do with this. And he invites them in. Peter's changing. Peter's changing. He ends up leaving with them in verse 28. And as he arrives at Cornelius' house, he points out, and he wasn't doing this in a callous way, it was the elephant in the room. He's about to step over the threshold into Cornelius' house, and he says to him, you know how significant this is, right? That my people, Jews, that we, we don't do this. It was unlawful. It was not allowed. It was taboo. Right? My good friend Mike Leong down here, he's a big Yankees fan, and he made fun of throughout the whole wilderness trip because he only had one other dry fit t-shirt, and it was a Boston Red Sox one. And he wore it through all the wilderness, and I tell you, Jimmy did not let him hear the end of that, right? Because that's taboo. Yankee fans don't wear Red Sox shirts, Right? Mike, you're a great example of Peter because you crossed the line and you put the Red Sox shirt on. Good man. Making my disciple, you know. <laughs> Peter puts the Red Sox jersey on. He steps over that threshold and everything he's known his entire life, man, he's, there had to have been some tension there. This had to be disorienting to him. But he did it. He stepped across that threshold. I want to ask you this question this morning. Whose world are you willing to enter into? Are you willing to embrace the different among us, the different of our world? Are you willing to embrace hard, different, step into ministry opportunities? Aaron Schellenberg was a huge encouragement to me on our last wilderness trip. Aaron's he's an athlete, strong dude. And um, one of the things that the leaders do every day is when they match people up, they're careful to make sure that you put strong paddlers, uh, you don't put all the strong paddlers in the same canoe. And we had two or three who, who just legitimately physically weren't able to paddle as strongly. And that's, that's okay. That, that's good. They're they an important part of our group. They contribute in their own ways. That wasn't one of them. About the third day, I looked at the canoe that morning, and I noticed that, once again, Aaron was in one of these canoes. And I went down to him. I said, Aaron, I said, 
how many days have you, and he goes, all of them, kind of smiled. He said, it's okay. I'm happy to do it. I'll do hard to love this person. I'll do hard for the good of someone else. Love that. How are we as a church doing at entering the hard places? I suggest we could do better. We do some good things. We love our friends from Olivia's gift. We do that. We do some shoe boxes at Christmas. We do that. Be honest with you as I was sitting there, and I know while well, we do some prison ministry, I don't want to, like, you're going to be like, you forgot mine. I, I know there's probably a couple. Of, I don't know, church. Sometimes I think we could do better. Stepping into the hard places. Right? Peter has a heart change. By the way, think about how gratifying it would have been if you're Peter. Here's a great testament to the change of his heart. Think how gratifying it would have been if you're Peter, as a Jewish person, stepping into that house, and Cornelius, a Roman centurion, bows before you. The oppressor. I feel like I would have been like, yeah, about time, pal. (laughs) Yeah, you guys know. Right? I'm on Jesus' side, you're lowly Roman. Peter said, again, get up. Just a man, just like you. Heart change. And Peter makes this great declaration in verses 28 through 29. I come to understand truly God shows no partiality. God has shown me that I shouldn't call any person common or unclean. In fact, God never had, really. right? The Jewish mind kind of took this and ran with it. At the end of the day, God had always been about the nations and embracing others. And my clicker stopped working, so drop, kick it out. Oh, okay. I think it's just a little behind. Anyways, the Deuteronomy passage talks about God showing no partiality. No partiality. Peter comes to understand something about his God. Peter's kindness is highlighted by Cornelius in the house here. Peter comes in and he proclaims Jesus. Peter comes in and he proclaims Jesus. Now here's the interesting thing, and I want to make sure we're very clear on this. Cornelius was a godly man. He was seeking after God. He was even called righteous. But he still had to hear and respond to the message of Jesus. Right? That's why Peter was sent. He had to hear truth. He had to hear the good news of peace. He had to repent of his sin. It's made clear here in Peter's sermon. So this does speak to any thoughts of universalism or inclusivism. Oh, he was seeking God. God is going to let him in. No, Peter had to go and proclaim the name of Jesus. Cornelius, as righteous as he was, had to hear and respond to the message of Jesus and repent of his sin. And we see here as we close that as Peter changed, proclaimed Jesus, and embraced hard, the Spirit worked. The Spirit comes upon the Gentiles. Now, many refer to this as Gentile Pentecost. Matt's going to talk a little bit about this next week, but the Spirit comes, and now there's this major validation. 
as the Spirit is manifest in this Gentile context in Caesarea, the Roman provincial capital of Judea, to a Roman soldier. The Spirit arrives in power just like he did at Pentecost and demonstrates his coming. The new people of God is expanding. They're baptized. They're brought in. Because Peter was willing to embrace hard. Spencer, come on up with the worship team. We're going to close in a song. But just a couple points. You have a bunch of them there by way of application. But I just challenge you to learn from Peter. Be willing to accept something new. Go outside of what is normal. Be willing to change and adapt. Be willing to walk out of what was easy, familiar, and comfortable. This is often our challenge, right? We want to stay in the easy and in the familiar. We're not willing to give sometimes what mission and church and gospel ministry asks of us. For some of us, that means we're not willing to walk across the room to engage someone new. We're not willing to be uncomfortable. Not willing to give up my comforts or my time, especially for something that might stretch me. We often want ministry and relationships on our own terms when it fits to our own plans and agendas and schedules. But Peter learns here that God doesn't always operate on our terms, comfort levels, agendas, and schedules. And we need to learn to do the same. We need to learn that grappling is okay. Being uncomfortable is okay. We cannot close our minds and refuse to listen to what God is telling us. Understand we're sometimes called to obey even when we are perplexed. Even when we are perplexed. We need to be encouraged that God is found by those who seek him. Right? Cornelius demonstrates that. We just need to be missional and go and find these people who God loves. We need to break down walls that may exist in our own hearts. God doesn't show favoritism either, should we? We shouldn't classify people on earthly distinctions, ethnicity, whatever. We need to love them. We need to give them truth. We need to give them Jesus. That's what Peter does here. Don't let them get lost. We tell the story of Jesus, right? Cornelius was willing to hear all the instructions that the Lord had given. In verse 33 of chapter 10. That message had to be brought. Repentance is part of the deal. But we have to tell. Romans 10, 13. How will they hear without a preacher? Right. Following God sometimes requires courage. I'm going to sing a song about Christ as we close here today. I want to use one more youth group kid as an illustration as we, lose, as we leave. I remember Jack last year in Brazil when we had to be split up and the kids thought they were going to be in groups of two going into Brazilian cabins and we found out we were going to be groups of one. And I remember finding Jack at the snack shack and he's in tears. I said, Jack, we don't have to do this. Dan told me we could put you with someone else. It's okay. And it's okay, honestly. And Jack looked at me and he said, no. He said, we read the book, Do Hard Things, before we came on this trip. And I'm going to do this because God wants to teach me something. And Jack had a hard, he had the hardest cabin. But he embraced it. He wanted to change. And I'm like, man, I need to be more like Jack. Run hard after God and what he's calling for you to do, even if it's hard. Cornelius is out there. Go find him. Go find him.